Listening to the Ron and Don Show. I'm G Force O'Neill, the real brains of this operation. Hey, Dad, can we go get a sandwich? Hey, you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode 415 now of the Ron and Don Show. And heck yeah, we are live from the Les Schwab studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, this is good news for me because they say, yeah, swearing, we've heard that it's a sign of intelligence. But it can also get you ahead in life when it's done properly. Also, we're going to tell you about a teacher that has kept an empty chair in his classroom for the last 50 years because of something that he saw that happened when he was nine years old. Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. Let's talk about the fact that, and this kind of blows me away, some new research out that says, hey, if there has been a lot of trauma or even a little bit of trauma in your family's history, even if you feel like it is skipped a generation, it can still be passed down biologically. Did you read this story and what were your thoughts? I did, it was fascinating. I believe it was from Scientific America. And they talked about, um, you know, one of the responses that the human body has when it's under stress or trauma is to release cortisol. In, into your bloodstream and this is one of the things that doctors can measure uh, when you're going through a traumatic event is how much cortisol is in your blood and so they did this study um, with two groups of people one the first one was with 9-11 survivors and there happened to be I think 137 women that were pregnant who had a direct uh, loss from 9-11 and so they started it, these researchers were like let's chart these people and see what happens. And so what they found, obviously, for it was, a, it was a range, but a lot of the women had pretty high levels of cortisol for the amount of stress that they were going through with 9-11. And so then they followed up, I think it was 36 months later, they measured the moms again, and then they measured the, the toddlers' uh, cortisol levels. And what they found is that they were quite a bit higher than a normal you know, two- or three-year-old. And so a normal kid does not have a lot of stress hormone in their system. You know, if you're two and you're being cared for in a normal household, you're not releasing cortisol a lot. But these these kids did. So then they went back and did a subsequent study of adults whose parents went through the Holocaust. And they, they measured their cortisol levels versus, uh, you know, the general population. They were also elevated. So what they, they basically concluded, and I'm paraphrasing here, is A, there's a biological link. So if you have a, a, ma, a mother when you're in utero experiencing heavy degrees of trauma, that it can literally pass down to that infant and raise their levels of cortisol as they enter the world. The next one they said environmentally, if you have someone that survived the Holocaust, they could be raising you in a higher cortisol, higher stress, higher traumatic situation just in the way the family is structured around life. And so they talked to a very successful stockbroker 
the, whose parents went through um, through the Holocaust. And he was just like, man, the house I grew up in, we were always basically waiting for the Nazis to burst through the door and to kill everybody. And so it just created their sense of anxiety and trauma. And so that the results of that were, were quite interesting uh, in terms of these two studies. And that's sort of the background on this is now scientists are believing that there, there can be a, you literally can pass your trauma down from one generation to the next generation, either biologically or situationally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read this study and I've read other studies like it and you know, I, I really have to look at my O'Neill side of the family, which I no longer have any contact with anyone on the O'Neill side. And it's not because I don't want to. It's just because when my dad left, that side of the family took a vote for whatever reason, and they no longer wanted to be involved in my life, my brother's life, my sister's lives, or my mother's life. And I know that my mom had reached out to that side of the family uh, numerous times. So I had a pack of cousins on that side, aunts and uncles. Uh, my my dad was the son of an alcoholic who uh, they basically found him homeless. This is the family story that we hear uh, in a building, these buildings in Chicago. Uh, downstairs, they have these boilers. In fact, my other grandpa used to work on those. And he was huddled up around one of those boilers and he had passed away. His father had passed away in a, in a similar fashion. My father, I've found out, passed away in a similar fashion due to Parkinson's disease, dementia, some other things. Uh, and he died in a care facility, I believe, somewhere uh, in Oregon is what I've heard. So I, I have to look at that type of trauma that not only is on the O'Neill side, but I have to understand that that, that trauma in growing up in my father's home, as much as my mom did to try to shield us kids from this, uh, it was traumatic. And I have to make sure that I'm not handing down that trauma to my son. So what I do every once in a while, and in fact, I did this a couple times in the last month. Uh, one was just last Friday where I picked my son up on Fridays and I think I shared this story. We will walk. We'll go get some ice cream. We'll check in on each other's mental health. And then he'll tell me what he learned this week. So like, for instance, something that he learned last week that he shared with me is he said, hey, daddy, you know, the same way that you feel about fish, uh, that's the way that I feel about coconuts because I hate fish. <laughs> and I found out he uh, he hates coconuts. Hey, coconuts. Yeah. So I didn't know this. And I, and I said, well, what else you learned? He goes, you know what? Uh, he goes, you may not want to hear this. He goes, but my pubes are really coming in right now. And he goes, from what I hear when I turn 13, it's just, there's going to be a lot more pubes is what, is what he shared with That's me. That's good to know as well. <laughs> and then we talked about some other things that were maybe a little more serious and I'll, and, and I'll, I'll leave those there. One thing that I did share with him is I said, Hey, cause, cause I, I, if, if my son is going through a hard time, I asked myself. Is this trauma that will create drama later on in his life? So if he's scared at night and wants to come sleep in my bed, it, it, is, is his fear creating, going to create trauma for him if I say, no, not tonight. You need to go sleep in your bed, and this is why. And, and, and there are times where I allow that and times that I don't because I'll say, you know what? This isn't creating trauma for him. This is just something that's hard, 
and hard things are okay because that's how we learn and that's how we will we we will learn to overcome these things but i always ask myself is it going to create trauma so anyway from this talk that we had uh, sitting down at ice cream i told him i said you know because he wanted to know if i was ever going to get married again so i had this conversation with him and i said what if i did get married what if we blended a family and and we talked through what that would be like and then I, t- I took him out to Discovery Park a couple days ago. And I said, hey, I want to share something with you. I'm Discovery Park. And you can see a picture of this. If you find Don O'Neill, on my, just look at it on my Facebook page. And there's a picture that he took of me standing on a parade stand. And if you go out to Discovery Park, which I've gone out to for the last 17 years, this parade stand is a review stand. Because what they did is they cleared that park of hundreds of if not thousands of trees and bushes. They put over 500 outbuildings in there, and then it became a place where soldiers, before World War I and World War II, they would come before they would embark, embarkation station. And this is, was the review stand where maybe a colonel would stand there and review the troops. And going back to World War I, there's pictures of troops on horseback rolling through Discovery Park. It's astonishing. Over a million men and women have gone through Discovery Park. So from time to time, I have gone to that review stand to review my own life. I will just sit there, overlook the park, and I'll just kind of have a, a, a talk with myself. And sometimes the reviews are good, and sometimes they're not so good. Uh, but these are conversations that I have, and, and it's helped to go through therapy and use those tools. And I use those tools to say, hey, check in with myself. Where am I at? So I was sitting on this review stand, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to share something with you that I haven't shared with you before, and I don't know that I've ever shared with anyone else. And he said, what's that, Daddy? And I said, you know, I sat on, on this very place, and I, and I got engaged. And I asked a woman to marry me. And my thought would be that one day that I would stand out on this review stand and that she and I would come back together and that we would, we would get married. And I said, you know, it didn't work out. But, you know, I said what was really cool is her and I did meet back here years later after it didn't work out. And we made amends with each other and we talked to one another and we cried and we hugged. And even know that we have both moved on and gone in different places in different directions It was really a powerful place to sit and have this discussion. And then I asked him, I said, do you have any questions about it? He goes, you know, I've always wanted to ask you about it. And he had lots of questions. And I think by he being able to ask these questions about our family history, because in my family, some of it's taboo. Some of it was never talked about. The cool thing now is I can talk about all these things with my mother all of these things. And she's really open to it, which is really great. I can have these conversations uh, with my sister and and she's really open to it. It's really great. The O'Neill side was my, was my father's side. So I, I think by taking a different approach with our kids, asking ourselves, is this creating trauma that will create drama later on in life? Or is this just a hard thing that I need to help them get through? Or maybe they need to get through it on their own. Cause sometimes hard things you need to do on your own and you have to learn that that's a great life skill or Is there something here where I should open up a conversation and just say, hey, this relationship that didn't work out, I know it affected you too. Because when he was younger, he got very attached to to this particular person that I was going to marry. He's very attached to her. And and so he's always had questions about it. He's never talked about it. And and it, it created an opportunity for us to sit there on that review stand, review that relationship. And my hope is... Because I think down the road, he talks about being a dad, being a father, and having kids and all that stuff. And I think he'll be great at it. He might be a little young for that right now. Yeah, I think so. But, but, but the hope is, 
and having those conversations, the change that I have broken in my own life, that, that they, that they stay broken. Yeah. Good job. It just reminds me that it's, it's all positive. That is such positive growth. Even something, and I know you talked to your son about money. Like in my house, we never talked about that as a kid. Like you didn't know how much money you made, you know, the familial stuff like you brought up. There were things that you could talk about and things that you couldn't talk about. So I think being more transparent with kids uh, is nothing but a good thing. And even the language of knowing what trauma is, is going to help him down the road of knowing like he's way more, he's more emotionally connected than, than you are at his age Very right right now. So like oh. that's all really good stuff. So, so good job out of you. Yeah. Hey, guys, uh, back in uh, 60 seconds. Oh, man, school's out. It's time for a road trip. Let's get out of town, have a little fun for the summer. Do you know the condition of your tires? <laughs> Are you ready for anything when you hit the road? Do you have a fully inflated spare and all the tools you need to change that flat? Les Schwab is here for you. Let's say you need new tires, all right? Les Schwab has all the answers for you. If you don't need new tires, they will let you know. And if you do, they'll help you choose the best option for your vehicle, your budget, and your driving needs. And right now, for people in the Ronadon Nation, you can save up to $150 on a set of four select tires with Les Schwab financing. So stop by a Les Schwab Tire Center today for your free pre-trip safety check, or you can schedule one online at leschwab.com. That's leschwab.com. Les Schwab Tires, where they've been doing the right thing since 1952. When the Martin family wanted to buy a house in Seattle for their son, Connor, after he got out of college, they turned to Ron and Don. Sent a message in their little portal, got a message back within about five minutes from Don, and he set up a phone conference for about a half hour later. About two days later, we were out touring houses with them. Before they started working with Ron and Don, the Martins kept getting outbid. They just didn't realize how competitive the market is, but the guys worked tirelessly to find them the right house and then came up with a winning strategy to get it. They said, if we go in at this amount, we think we can we think we can jump ahead and have people close before uh, they intended to. And sure enough, it worked out. I don't think we'd have this house if, if it hadn't been for Ron and Don. And now their son has the perfect place for him and his two dogs, and the Martins say they couldn't have been more impressed with Ron and Don. I think both of them said at some point when we were apologizing at how many houses we looked at, said, we love looking at houses. They didn't hesitate to jump in and make this the house for us. It, they seemed very enthused for uh, you know a deal to get done, and for us to be successful. And that felt really good. They were passionate and they, they were just honest and straightforward and uh, no, everything's great. Uh, you know, I definitely would recommend it. And if you're ready to buy like the Martins or sell, your journey starts with a Ron and Don sit down at ronanddon.com. Now here's those boyhood friends, Ron and Dave. I mean, Ron and Delbert. I'm just kidding. Here's Ronna and Donna. <laughs> All right, you guys, welcome back to the Donna. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. The Ron and Don show. Either way. Ron and Don's first. Yeah. Do you want to write Ron? You want one of those buyers playbooks, sellers playbooks? You just heard about a Ron and Don sit down. We could do all that. Just write him directly. Ron at Ron and Don. That's a new email. Ron at Ron and Don.com. And uh, we'll schedule a sit down uh, today. Swearing. You don't swear a lot, but when you do, uh, especially if you've had a trip to Louisville and you've been drinking some bourbon, 
Uh, I think you do it really well. And it's always very funny to me because I'm not used to swear words coming out of your mouth. Right. So when you get it, it, Ron has a very long fuse, but when he gets pissed, he's pissed. And when he decides he doesn't, he will give you lots and lots of chances. But when you, and I hope this is fair, but when someone's out, they're out. That's it. Uh, I can be a lot more forgiving, I think. Uh, but for you, you 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 try to really forgive up front, and if it's not happening, and you've done your work, and I kind of admire it actually. Uh, you're just that's it. You're done. Line in the sand. That's usually when the swear words come out. Anyway, uh, some new research says, and we've heard this before, that if you swear, it might be a sign of intelligence, uh, and also if you swear. Uh, it may be a sign that maybe you're doing better than the rest of us in life. How about that? Well, I think it's, um, these studies are always interesting and and obviously there's a range. Someone that's just a, you know, they would call it a a swear, like a sailor where it's every other word. Clearly that's on one side of the range, but the, it seems like the logic is if you constrain your vocabulary, uh, artificially like oh i'm religious or something so i i'm I'm forbidden to say these things or for whatever culturally i can't say this word or that word you you put a different value on these words that it it actually holds you back and the the famous study that i love is when they use the swear words versus non-swear words in the bucket of of really ice cold water and so what they broke up two groups of people and they said, here's what you can do. Uh, you're going to put your arm up to the elbow into this bucket of ice and hold it there as long as you can. And so to one group, they said, you can say any word that you want to help relieve the stress of this ice water. And the other group, they said, you cannot swear. You can say anything you want, but you can't use a swear word in there. And what they found is the people that were allowed to swear and use any word they wanted, it reduced the pain. They were able to stay in the in the ice water much longer than the people that weren't allowed to swear. So there's actually a physical release, a psychological release, an endorphin release when you use some of these words. And they say that the people that are comfortable with using the correct word, sometimes the swear word is the correct word. And that's what I've always tried to do is... is not, don't use it gratuitously, but when it's appropriate or when you're looking to emphasize a point or looking to have a little bit of shock value, sometimes that word is the one that gets the attention. But if you use it all the time, it loses its power. Yeah, it's interesting because I shared about this review stand at Discovery Park. And sometimes when I go there and I review my life, I think about some of the things that I've done or I'm doing that are holding me back. Some things that are creating chains and not opportunities. And one of those things for me a number of years ago, and I shared this about five years ago, was dealing with my drinking, which I've dealt with that. Like I, I like I have taken a hard look at that, and I've placed myself in check on that. Um, and what is interesting, like I look at the Bradley Coopers of the world. When, when he just stopped drinking so much and paid attention to his drinking, his life got better. You've seen that with Brad Pitt. He just he addressed it. In fact, uh, he sat down with Bradley Cooper, and he helped him out, gives him credit for that. And his life got better. For other people that don't have an issue, don't have a problem, I did. I, I was numbing and running. Uh, and so I had to take some time and, and really, really discover myself at Discovery Park. That's why I love going out there so much. And that's where I have trail run. What's interesting, when I first started trail running out there, 
I couldn't run very far, you guys, like a half a mile to a mile. It felt like crawling. But then a half mile turned into a mile, turned into two, turned into four. And the next thing you know, it turned into half and full marathons out on the trails, not just in places like Discovery Park, but all over the specific Northwest. I've met a lot of dear friends doing it. Uh, I get up on Saturdays and I don't have a hangover. I go for a run instead, or I go running with Charlie. Uh, it's just, it, 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 it has made my life better. Anyway, someone on my, I talked about this and someone on my Facebook page reached out to me and said, you know, I would love to do that, but I can't. And I wrote them back and I said, you know what? Just start fucking crawling. And a crawl will turn into a walk, and a walk will turn into a run, and a run turns into a lot of fun. And I said, I will crawl, and I will walk, and I will run beside you, but I will not do it for you. And I don't apologize for using that word because that was the right word to use. And did it get their attention? And that kind. Yeah, we've had some great, great conversations about this uh, since then. And, and this particular person is, is saying, hey, I need no one's coming to save me. That's what I told them. And, and they're going to take some responsibility for their own life. And sometimes throwing an F-bomb in there, and, and the, the, it's just the, it, it, it is the right thing to do, especially when you don't use it that often. It has a lot of, it has, it has a lot of power. Except when you're using it in a bullying fashion. I had a really uh, a fascinating conversation between Ricky Gervais and uh, Sam Harris, the, the brain scientist the other day, and they were talking about Will Smith uh, because um, everybody invoked Ricky Gervais because he had such brutal jokes in the Golden Globes. They're like, oh man, would Will Smith have had hit Ricky Gervais? So they, they were talking about it. And they were like, hey, when Will Smith started to use the F-bomb, keep my wife's name out of your effing mouth, and he would scream it, basically hijacking the Oscars, that's an inappropriate use. Because he was taking from everybody. He was using it in anger to bully a smaller human being. You know, Chris Rock is 6'3", or Chris Will Smith is 6'3", 200-plus pounds, and Chris Rock is maybe 140 pounds, much smaller. So in using it in that way, that is not what we're talking about. Or using it when there's a power differential or using it towards your children, not good. But using it in a way to get someone's attention or to because it's the right word in the situation, then those things are... Uh, a, a good sign. My favorite thing is, and I know I've talked a lot about my son today, but I've spent a lot of time with him. And, and he'll ask me, Daddy, can I tell you a story? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, there's lots of swears in it. And I said, thanks for letting me know. So then he will explain something that happens at school. Because in middle school, kids really start trying on lots of different swear words. And just to, to have him share a story, that something that one of his friends said to him that involves swear words, is incredible. It's incredible. He would sell it with his dad. I would never show it with my dad. It's so it's so awesome. It is, and, and for him to ask permission if he can swear so that he could tell the story, and he's right. Without the swear words, the 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 story of what Aiden said at school today is not as fun. <laughs> Hey, you guys, we want to thank everybody in the Ron and Don Nation that has been switching to Mitch and Mitch.loans. Mitch, I got to ask you, here comes 2022. A lot of people are thinking money's going to be way too expensive. 
I'm not even going to be able to afford a home. What are you hearing about money, finances, stock market, interest rates as we start looking at 2022? What does it look like? That's a great question. And everyone's saying rates will rise. But when we we have to keep in mind that rates rising is totally a perspective thing, right? Because rates have been, yes, two and a half, three percent recently. But when we were young <laughs> or when our parents bought houses, rates were 12, 15 percent. So still compared to that, rates are good and we see rates going up, but rates will stay manageable and money's still cheap, guys. All right, he's Mitch Weeks. He's the official mortgage guy of the Ron and Don Nation. Go to Mitch.loans right now. Tell him you're with Ron and Don and you save half a percent on your new loan. Mitch.loans, NMLS 169-1573. Hey, you guys, welcome back to uh, episode 415. Don't forget, if you need Mitch, uh, just reach out. Yeah, Mitch.loans if you're looking for that loan. If you need Ron and Don, it's Ron at ronanddon.com or Don at ronanddon.com. Yeah. Did you read about the teacher that kept a chair in his classroom for 50 years? I keep a chair in, in an open chair. I keep an open chair uh, whenever we have a holiday dinner. Uh, there is an open chair. I kept an open chair when my mom was here uh, with myself and my son, and we were celebrating Christmas. We had a Christmas dinner together. We had an open chair, and at the open chair, I have a white candle that I bought from Glassy Baby. It's called Angel, and I've shared this story before. When my late sister passed, I sent everyone in the family this Glassy Baby, and we just light it when we're thinking about her. And sometimes we just may be thinking about her on a Tuesday afternoon, and we take a picture of it. Maybe we'll send a song or a note and just say, hey, I was guess who I was thinking about today? And they're not always sad memories either. She wouldn't want us to be sad. She wouldn't want us to be sad in perpetuity. Uh, sometimes they're, they're, they're fun, funny things. Uh, so it, it's really great to have that point of remembrance. It's also very powerful to look over and see an empty chair. I know during the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, I know that a lot of military families will do this when a son or daughter, husband, wife, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, whatever it is, has been deployed. They oftentimes will keep an open chair until that person returns. And sometimes when that person doesn't return, that chair remains open for all those holidays in perpetuity uh, for the rest of those family members' lives. So I think it's kind of a beautiful thing. Anyway, this teacher had something happen to him when he was nine years old. Yeah, and he's just about to retire in his mid-70s, and so he's been a teacher for almost 50 years and um, when he was nine years old, his he was going to a party with his best friend. Uh, they both had a birthday party. They both had gifts wrapped, and they were ready to uh, meet up with a classmate at school. And the mom of this child that was having the birthday party opened the door and sees that one child is white and the other child is black. And she tells them both, you can't come in because we don't have enough chairs. Mm. And so the, the teacher, the guy that turned out to be a teacher, he said, oh, well, that's cool. I don't mind sitting on the floor. And she looked at him and she's like, we don't have enough chairs. And he's like, well, I'll give my chair up. So it took him a couple of rounds. He's nine. And then he finally realized, oh, she doesn't want us in the birthday party because my friend is black. And so they both cried and they turned and they left the party uh, without you know, being able to go in because of this racist mother. 
And so as he, they were best friends all through uh, junior high, all through high school, uh, graduates, goes to college, he becomes a teacher in his 20s. And so he decided, because he was with elementary school kids, kids are really good with symbols at that age. So he just took this open chair and he put it in the middle of his classroom. It's not in the, in the corner. It's not up by the desk. It's in the middle of the desk field uh, is this open chair. And so he'd always explain to the kids why this story when he was nine and that he always wants to make sure that there's a chair for anybody that comes in. And if you remember when he, if you do the math on this, he's doing this in the early seventies and there was still like things were very different then, especially in the part of the country where he lives. And so this, this article was sort of a tribute to how progressive this man has been, how much uh, he's done to sort of symbolize inclusion uh, in his classrooms. And he lost touch with this friend he grew up with, and the, the guy has since passed away. And he reunited with the, his, his old friend, childhood friend's family as he's getting ready to retire. Uh, ten years after he could have retired, he wanted to just be a positive change agent in that school. So it's, it's a really charming story, I think. And it also is is a reminder to me um, what we do to make people feel welcome or not and how we talk in other people's presence and how we try to give the same or better treatment to, to who we give treatment to. But it, it, I, I enjoyed it very much to see this guy and what he's meant to that school district. Hey, you guys, thanks for listening to episode 415. We really appreciate it. Don't forget, if you want to get signed up for the Nation News, or if you would like to sit down with us, Ron, what should people do? Yeah, you can email me directly, ron at ronanddon.com, or set up a, a virtual meeting. It's a Zoom call. You can set up the schedule it at ronanddonsitdown.com. Yeah. Also, uh, if you want to get together and we can just hang out and swear at each other, uh, you can write me, uh, don at ronanddon. Dot com. <laughs> yeah. All right. Head up, shoulders back. We'll see you for episode 416. Yeah. Be here before you know it. You're listening to the Ron and Don Show. Olay! On the Ron and Don Radio Network. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back. And keep blowing that trumpet. And we'll see you next time. Only. 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 On the Ron and Don Radio Network. <laughs>